Welcome to an 8-Bits Holiday Special, the second annual non-denomination holiday special presented to you by 8-Bits. I'm your host, Frankie Godoy. This year, we are joined by Emmett Watkins Jr. Hello, Emmett. Howdy, howdy. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be back. Of course. It was great having you, listeners. Uh, Emmett was our special guest host for the 50th episode, the 50th special and it was great having you on as a special guest host, especially since I, I couldn't do the show that day. <laughs> Fair enough. Always happy to tag team. And there was some good news to talk about that day, too. So it was like, oh, this is a perfect time. <laughs> yeah. And it was just a great time. But uh, how, how have you been for the holidays? How's your year been? Uh, my year's been pretty good, actually. Uh, I had one of those years where it went by so fast that it feels like nothing happened. But now that I'm at the end and I'm looking back, I'm like, actually, I I accomplished a good deal of stuff that I was looking to do. Uh, I I had a New Year's resolution of I don't want to say no to as much stuff. I want to say yes to more things. And I definitely did that to a very large degree and has led to some permanent changes <laughs> in good ways, in good ways. But, uh, you know, there's still stuff to work on. I've got stuff I'm looking forward to for 2023 as well. But I had a pretty gosh darn solid year for 2022. I'm not too happy upset about anything i'm very happy with where i'm at i'm glad you had a good year yes indeed and what a year it was for you personally by the sound of it but also a good year for video games yeah it's always a yes lots of great games this year but the most important thing and the most fun part about the holiday special is that it's not about what games just came out this year it's about just the games that we played in general where no matter what time of year it is, there are always games coming out, and there are always games from the past that we may have missed. Indeed. And so what I like doing for the holiday special is celebrating eight games that we played this year, regardless of when they came out. Mm-hmm. And so, Emmett, let's start with you. What was one game you played this year that you thoroughly enjoyed? I'm glad you said regardless of when they came out, because that's exactly what this first game is right here. Uh, folks who are familiar with first-person shooters or folks that uh, are just really into the indie scene, the modern indie scene, this is a modern classic as far as I'm concerned, as far as many are concerned, and that game is Dusk. Ooh. And a uh, big fan of this game. Uh, if you aren't aware of it, it's from New Blood Studio uh, or New Blood Publishing, and uh, it's a first-person shooter. Think uh, the Quake era of first-person shooters. It kind of has that type of art style to it. Uh, that type of very old school aesthetic. It also plays a lot like a Quake or an Unreal Tournament where it's a lot of uh, jumping and circle strafing and very quick uh, combat and all this other good stuff. There's jump pads all over the place. You're, you know, there's no aim down sights. There's no regenerating health. You're collecting health pickups off the ground. You're collecting ammo pickups off the ground. It's very, very old school. And I'm someone who loves first person shooters. I talk about it often. Um, Titanfall 2, one of my really is my favorite game of all time right now at this point. And there are several other shooters that are right behind it in that list for me. Um, but Dusk is a game that I've looked at and I've always thought it looked interesting, but I'm not a horror person. I, I Resident Evil is probably the only horror franchise that I claim to be a fan of, but don't really play Silent Hill. Uh, too afraid to try out Fatal Frame or any of these other obscure horror games. I'll watch people make video essays about them, but I'm too afraid to like actually play them. Um, but Dusk, despite having this like kind of rural horror theme, uh, it's way more fun and exciting and 
enthralling than it is horrific, in my opinion. It is horror-themed, but that's more of a set dressing for it to show you some really cool stuff. There's a lot of cool set pieces, a lot of cool level design where the level is turning from a regular sterile, for example, like a office building, like a scientist building. It turns from that into like weird geometric shapes because you're going through different dimensions and things are going on. Things are flipping over, kind of like Doctor Strange. <laughs> like the whole building is kind of collapsing in on itself. And it has some weird things like that. It has some cool power-ups where every now and then you'll get like the super hot power-up where time moves if you move just for a couple seconds. And there's some really cool stuff. And it also has one of the best boss fights I've ever seen in any video game. Like the the almost final boss. There's two final bosses, but the one you battle right before the actual final boss it is straight up a classic like quake one-on-one -on -one death match and it is so cool that they were able to pull that off in a in a single player video game so yeah very happy with this thing my only regret is that i didn't play it sooner or well kind of i wish i played it sooner but i also wish i waited until i had a steam deck <laughs> i played this on pc just going in and uh it was fun i i'm not regretting that at all but yeah, I kind of wish I was able to play this on Steam Deck for the first time. But yeah, it's great. And if you played a lot of Quake Live like I did back in the day, this is definitely going to bring you back to those memories. So you play a lot of Quake Live. Do you have any other experience with like older boomer shooters like just plain old Quake or Doom 2 or any of that late 90s era of boomer shooter? You know, I not too much experience. Quake Live is really a game that I went to because... My computer couldn't run anything else, and I wanted to play shooter. <laughs> so I played a lot of that growing up. But when it comes to like the original Quake, I did go back to, I think earlier this year, they released that remaster of it uh, on all the modern consoles. Either it was earlier this year or sometime last year. Uh, but I went back to that for a few hours, and I enjoyed it. I do want to get back to it, but just haven't made the time. Um, that's the story of my entire backlog this year is just haven't made the time. Um, but yeah, it definitely reminds me of a lot of those older, older school shooters. And that's still a genre that I, it, there's some games that I'm like, oh man, it's really hard to go back to the original Final Fantasy VII, for example. A lot of genres to me feel archaic if you go back in time to witness their origins. But for first person shooters, almost all of those still hold up. Like the original Doom, I've played, I played a lot of the original Doom right before Eternal came out back in the day. And that still was fun. So I feel like shooters for me are like, oh, I could play a shooter from any era and get some enjoyment out of it. And Dusk is one of those games where it doesn't feel archaic. It feels modern, even though it goes for that old school aesthetic. And it is uh, incredible for it. So, yeah, shout out to those guys for that one. And, yeah, shout out to first person shooters, boomer shooters, as they like to call it. Yeah, there has been a, a real big resurgence of boomer shooters lately. And it's been fun to see them come back where... When I was younger with my older brothers, I would frequently watch them play Quake 3 Arena specifically. Lots of Quake 3 Arena. Specifically because the, I believe the demo, if you had the demo disc, you could also network with players who actually owned the game. You would just huh. be limited to what maps you could spawn into. Wow. So it was great for balling on a budget. <laughs> I feel that. And especially with our uh, internet connection, like what, uh, family was making at the time just demo discs was how we survived <laughs> i feel that uh, through a lot of those gaming days and other games that i picked up also when i was i think it was like 13 when i started getting uh, my like first computers my first laptops that were really only capable of playing older games i went back and played a lot of things like quake 
or Doom 3 or the original Far Cry, which isn't a boomer shooter, but it is an older first person shooter. It's getting old uh, enough to be just to, <laughs> Yeah, just to build that back knowledge of games and to experience what games were. And there definitely is an appeal to those boomer shooters. And I'm really glad that they seem to be coming back now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely coming back with a vengeance because there's Dusk is probably the most impressive boomer shooter I played this year, but I have played so many. There's one that came out recently, Forgive Me Father, that's kind of like a Eldritch Horror Lovecraftian type vibe with the boomer shooter gameplay and all that uh, with some RPG elements as well. That game is great also. And then Nightmare Reaper is one that honestly might end up in my game of the year conversations on my list somewhere. It's a roguelike, but it's super if Dusk is going for like that late 90s aesthetic, uh, Nightmare Reaper is straight up going for that Doom pixel art aesthetic. It uses a lot of modern graphics and a lot of modern kind of effects to kind of make the gunplay and the gameplay pop a lot more. Um, And it is a roguelike, so you know you're getting randomized levels and all this stuff, but you are playing through a linear story at the same time. So yeah, those are just two examples. Coltic is another one, which is basically what if Resident Evil 4 was a first-person shooter and on the Game Boy Advance, which sounds wild, but if you look at it, that's a... That's yeah. That is if you wild. look at it, that is exactly what the graphical style they're going for. So uh, yeah, there's so many great boomer shooters out there that keep making more every single day. Um, I just saw another review for Impaler that I want to try out. That's like a $3 game that Steam Deck verified. So yeah, there's so much to eat from if you're really in the mood to chow down on a boomer shooter. And even this year, Fashion Police Squad was one mm-hmm. I picked up that was really fun that brought in with that old school style some elements of platforming that came in with Doom yep. Eternal, but put it into like a 2D kind of engine. It's also just a really mm-hmm. funny game. And just at the time of recording, I believe it was yesterday or sometime last week, the creator of Dusk put out, the one guy yeah. that made Dusk, put out a new game called Chop Goblin. That's true. I did see this on, going around on Twitter. I didn't know it was already out, but huh. Yeah, it is It is a $5 boomer shooter. I played it and beat it last night, and it took me maybe an hour. Worth it. Absolutely worth every dollar that I spent on it. Well, I'm about to look this up right now. <laughs> it, it is very fun. It's very funny. There are still like some horror elements, but from how goofy it is, it's kind of like that goofy style like Gremlins horror. Ah, okay, like a yeah. 80s kind of horror. Uh so it's very goofy, but it's a great time. It is a very fun, solid hour-long enjoyment of a fun boomer shooter. I might literally do that Christmas Day. <laughs> Just wake up and actually I'll have family been by then. All right, Christmas Eve it is. <laughs> Yeah, I will definitely make some time for this one this weekend. It's a good time. Yeah, looks like it. Controller support, too? All right, yeah, they got me sold. I got this. (laughs) (laughs) Booyah. Hopefully you're having fun chopping goblins. Oh, I will. Also, of other enemies and other monsters that we can chop down, we can move on to our second game, which was Mm. personally maybe my favorite game of this year, and that is Elden Ring. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Game of the year. Elden Ring. Oh boy, I really liked Elden Ring. And personally, I'm very surprised at that. I did not expect to join in on the hype that was Elden Ring. I expected it to be just this big RPG that Souls fans would enjoy. And personally, I haven't enjoyed the Souls formula all that much. 
especially since in a lot of the older games that I had played, specifically the original Dark Souls, a lot of the exploration and the the linear-based exploration seemed to be based off of failures. Yeah. Especially with some deaths that you would encounter where enemies would pop up, you would die. And then that was part of the gameplay loop in education where, oh, no, there's a big monster there. You can't go there now. And then you had to work back and the obscurity with some of the RPG systems in order to, like, progress and get stronger. Didn't really like that. The one game that really gripped me with that Souls formula was Bloodborne initially. Hmm. And that was mostly because it felt like a modern Castlevania game, or what I imagine a modern Castlevania game would be. Absolutely. Since I, I'm a big Castlevania fan. Hmm. And it, it felt like that for first few hours, but inevitably I fell off. And so I picked up Elden Ring on a whim. And it seemed like fun, and it immediately gripped me. Wow. Something about how they had changed up the formula to be a lot more welcoming, where there there were guides that popped up and tooltips that told you what the systems did. Exactly. Uh, innovation. <laughs> yeah. It was like, who knew if you just told people what things do, that it would revolutionize everything. And... What specifically I enjoyed the most was the world. The world was just so expansive. And other than the call of the Erd Tree to have these little golden flecks of light popping out to vaguely guide you where you needed to go, you could do anything. You could go anywhere. And it was in the world design itself that specifically guided you and pointed to where you should and shouldn't go. Where the first time I encountered Kaled by accidentally opening a chest and being oh. teleported to a cave there and exiting that cave and seeing the world for the first time and just being scared <laughs> where there is just demonic red waves of light and these weird mushroom monsters and the whole world just says, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to never find that chest. So I never got just thrusted into that side of the map. But yeah, this I'm right there with you in a lot of respects. I am. Um, I had a similar uh, relationship with a lot of the Soulsborne games. Bloodborne, I did try out, but that's not the one I fell in love with. I actually fell in love with a non from software game uh, by the name of The Surge 2. Uh, Ooh. I think that's a Focus Interactive joint. I don't know if Focus are the developers, but I know they published it. Um, but yeah, The Surge 2, my favorite Souls-like game by a mile, even still, even though I do like Elden Ring a lot. Um, but that kind of got me used to the whole challenging, methodical combat of these Soulsborne games. So then once I got into Elden Ring, I was like, all right, this isn't so foreign to me anymore. And like you're saying, this is honestly one that I played on a device that we'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, so it made it a lot easier to play because I could play it from bed effectively. But yeah, just exploring the world was great. Fighting these bosses was great. And it felt so good to feel like I'm getting my ass kicked, know exactly what I have to do, and just come back later after I've leveled up on a bunch of side quests, leveled up on a bunch of other bosses. Now I can come back to that boss that was kicking my ass earlier and just wipe the floor with them. It is a very satisfying loop and one that I didn't think I'd be able to jive with. But yeah, Elden Ring's the one. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the loop from going of being punished for being underleveled or not knowing 
the moveset or learning the moveset in combat of your enemies to then being able to come back and just wipe the floor with them, like the first Tree Sentinel in-game. Mm-hmm. And as the game progresses, two Tree Sentinels at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And being able, and just knowing that, oh, this is the same enemy I fought earlier, but now I can fight two of them, and it's much easier. <laughs> exactly. Where I specifically ran into an item earlier in the game, which was uh, the Sword of Night and Flame. Mm. Which was, uh, I, I didn't know this until I had beat the game and finally started watching videos about it. Because I went in mostly silent. I, other than checking in on some quest updates and being very focused to only read exactly what I needed. Because I wanted to be as blind as possible to fully experience the exploration yeah. of the game itself. So... I went in, and it turns out that this sword prior to a patch, and even after the patches, is still one of the strongest weapons in the game. Well, <laughs> looks like I need to make a trick for this. <laughs> with one move, or with your two uh, weapon arts, or I forget what the actual uh, term for the game is, the abilities that you have with your weapon, one is a giant laser. Oh. <laughs> uh, like a Dragon Ball Z-style laser that you shoot from the end of your sword. And the other one is a giant wave of fire. And one is just a real focus beam that cuts through enemies and clears everything in a straight line and does way more damage than it should the bosses. And the other one is just a big fire AoE. Wow. (laughs) And that fire AoE can just clear anything, especially if your build matches it correctly. And my build did, <laughs> where I had been focusing on being a the traditional sword experience of sword and shield in my hands, and also wanting to tool around a little bit, I played around with some magic. So I had the magic abilities, but mostly it was just sword and shield. Based off of what I was reading through builds, that is not the way to go, because you want to min-max everything, but I wanted the fair balance of doing everything which turns out my health was a lot lower than it should have been. My magic was lower than what it could have been, (laughs) which made some fights towards the end, especially with Millennia, a lot harder than it could have been. Definitely. But I I, I like this game so much. I played through it twice. Oh. Where my second time around, uh, on New Game Plus, I had found whips in-game. I found that on the first time around. (laughs) Yeah, so I had I found all the whips in game my first right, time around. <laughs> and so on my second time through, being inspired by Castlevania, uh especially the the first main area, I believe it's uh not not Stormfront. Uh, I think that's Worldcraft, but the first big castle in game. Ah, with all the birds. Yes, that feels more like a level. So like a level or a dungeon inside of this big open world. That really is like, oh, it's Castlevania. (laughs) And then even going into uh, some of the later parts in game that feel like Castlevania levels, uh, I'm going to go whip and magic. And I turn Elden Ring into what I want from a Castlevania game, ideally. I feel you, I feel you. Yeah, Elden Ring. I mean, that's kind of one of the main reasons that people love this game so much. It's, It's such a malleable product. You can... Play it in any way you want. Use any type of weapon you want. Really come to it in your own way. And quite honestly, that's the only way that I was able to jive with this because 
I bought it just because I knew I had to play it if I wanted to have any type of conversation for Game of the Year. Anything, I had to put some hours into Elden Ring. I started with a Sorcerer build because I figured, oh, that'd be cool. And I also heard the magic was really easy to abuse. So I was like, all right, this is how I'm going to push through this game. But I couldn't get through one of the earlier bosses. And I'm like, what do I do? This is this is impossible. I can't make it. And I had some friends recommend, hey, you, you need to get a samurai build for your starting class. That's the bleed build. Then you get going. You can slice through these bosses instantly. Once they told me that, restarted the game with that build, never looked back. And now I still have the same base samurai sword I started the game with. I'm now 15 hours into the second playthrough, and I am just cutting through folks or actually no i'm closer to like 35 hours now <laughs> if i split the time difference between both playthroughs um but yeah i'm just having a blast running through here and like you said it, it's fun it is challenging but i think it's i think because it's challenging it makes it more satisfying when you finally do overcome it's not just going through the motions you are mostly attached to these victories because it took you so much time to get to the level to go against them and then to finally take them down so uh yeah i look forward to playing a lot more elden ring uh i'll be playing it you know i'll be playing it portably i'll be playing it uh stationarily as well but uh yeah it's a good game don't know if i'll be able to beat it by the end of the year just because hey time as i said earlier has been an issue but uh the time that i will give to it will be fun indeed it it will be fun one of the last points i wanted to make with it is that it elden ring feels like the first triple a open world game to really learn from what Nintendo did with Breath of the Wild and having more of a open-ended exploration-based world where rather you have a few like points of interest around the world and rather than having a waypoint guide you like in Call of Duty or having checklists, you have just the world. And by exploring the world, you yourself can find what you want to do. And it is player-motivated exploration rather than implicit game-focused exploration. It's not the game telling you what to do, or rather, the game is telling you what to do and where to go, but the player feels empowered that they found those things themselves rather than having an arrow point to exactly where the game wants you to go, which was really why I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the exploration and getting to have this big world of the lands between to get to know myself and having the game facilitate that exploration and knowledge, which is one of the reasons why I didn't particularly enjoy what I experienced of what seems to be one of your favorite games this year. <laughs> wow. It's funny because as you were saying that, I was like, oh, that's a big reason I like this game. And now you're like, oh, that's the reason you didn't like it. And I'm like, oh, well, this is about to be a fun conversation. Um, so I'll take that pitch and go ahead and talk about one of my favorite games of this year, a game that I love very dearly, uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, this game, if you hopefully you're aware of Horizon, if you're aware of Elden Ring, you should be aware of Horizon. But it is the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn from like 2017 or something. Maybe Yes, 2017, okay. uh, since it came out. What, one week before Breath of the Wild? Yep, just like it came out a few days before Elden Ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it seems cursed to, like I said, I've said this a million times on other podcasts, but always the bridesmaid, never the bride this game. Um, this whole series, really. Uh, but Horizon Forbidden West is one of my favorite games of the year, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I like the gameplay improvements, and when I say gameplay improvements, I'm talking 
multiple dimensions here. It's not just, oh, it feels better to shoot all these weapons. It feels, you know, more satisfying to take down these gigantic robotic dinosaurs. Um, and also they've added a whole bunch of new weapons. They added a whole bunch of new RPG mechanics, you know, more crafting, more everything pretty much. So, uh, yes, uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, yeah, it's definitely... It has better gameplay improvement, so it feels better to play. But when you talk about exploration, that is something that I really like about this game because it's not, I think when people think of the open world type of Ubisoft style design, they are thinking of the checklists. It's like checking everything off. Yes, Horizon does have a design that is closer to that traditional Ubisoft style where it is a checklist and it's not necessarily just wide open so you can just go anywhere you want. But I will say for Horizon... While it is wide open in the same way that something like an Elden Ring or a Zelda Breath of the Wild is, it does give you that middle ground of, oh, there are icons on the map. You can turn all those icons off or you can like say, all right, I'm setting this icon to be the destination and then I might pop up on five to six other icons on the way there just as I'm coming through. Um, so the way that I found myself playing Horizon is just leisurely strolling through it in the same way that folks would leisurely stroll through Elden Ring or Breath of the Wild. It was a lot of, okay, I want to get to this story mission, but I know it's way over there. I haven't explored anything between here and where the story mission is. So let's go ahead and populate these icons on the map, and perhaps I'll tackle a couple of them on the way. And every time I got to one of those icons, it was something that was improving my character. It was an interesting piece of lore. It was a fun little puzzle to do. Um, I really found every single bit of Horizon Forbidden West engaging, uh, let alone the fact that this game is drop-dead gorgeous. And yes, pretty games, everyone can make a pretty game. That's like the big AAA thing that you do. But specifically, the art style of this game is one of my favorite art styles in any game, where it's that combo of, you know, these very early, very early stage uh human civilizations where people are still living in huts people are still using the land to make their products in a way where like people are wearing trees and leaves still um you're not getting too much iron out there things haven't gone industrial quite yet uh it feels like you know almost like a sort of i maybe this is what they were going for or not but it kind of gives like native american vibes with some of the garbs that folks are wearing um but i love that with the juxtaposition of high technology of Aloy's focus displaying holograms over everything with these giant robot dinosaurs and robot elk and robot alligators roaming the lands. And I think that's such a, it should be a clash on paper, but they make it work so elegantly in this game. Uh, they did that in the first game, but this game just brings that up to a whole nother level with the PlayStation 5 and everything. So I just love how this game looks. And also the fact that I don't want to get too much into the lore of the game because that could be some spoilers for the original title, if not this sequel. But this is a world that is restarted and it is restarted from there's no colonization yet, <laughs> basically. And you can tell that from the diversity of the cast that you're going across because, yeah, you're playing as Aloy, but there's plenty of black and brown and all different colors of the rainbow and all different types of uh, sexualities as well. like. It's refreshing to come back to a world where the troubles and the turmoil of like institutional racism doesn't exist. And like all these constructs that exist in the real world, they don't exist in this world because it's so early for this civilization that no one has really had the chance to 
mess it up that way. <laughs> so it's it feels nice to go back to like a pure place. So yeah, I just really think that's another beautiful part about this game. Um, and then when it gets right down to it, the reason that this game does stick out for me, um, Horizon for, did you play the original Horizon? I did play the original Horizon. I didn't beat it. Uh, I did put in about 30 or so hours into it. Okay. But uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy a lot of the the more grindier aspects of hunting towards the middle and late game. Fair. Uh, for fair. wanting to upgrade all my things. E- even though I have had that loop really hit for me in the past, like in Far Cry 3. Mm-hmm. And I'm unsure why that hunting loop, especially since it's a lot more involved hunting, didn't grip me as much in the in Horizon as it did in other games. Yeah. So with that being said, have you touched Forbidden West at all? I played two hours of Forbidden West at Mm. PAX West this year since there wasn't a whole lot to do on the show floor. And I just wanted to get my hands on the PS5 again since I don't own the PS5. I hope to change Ah. that soon. Uh, But I still so that's maybe why some limitations of our list going through just a heads up. God of War is not on this list. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Had well, I played it, I fully expect God of War to be on this list, since I thoroughly enjoy the original. Uh, but with Forbidden West, what I played, similar to the experience that you mentioned about going to a waypoint, because I just popped into whatever save was on the system, and going to a story-based waypoint and seeing all of these things populate on the way there that are pulling me from what I actually wanted to do, didn't feel very satisfying it was like the game trying to appeal to like oh come come over here and do this but that's not what i wanted Mm. and so it felt like the game trying to pull me away from the thing i wanted to do and it didn't feel like i want to go and do these things especially when the waypoint Mm. would show up on the map it felt like the game wanted me to do these things rather than having it be player focused. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. I can see the I can see the differences in that criticism, but uh I'll I will say real quick before I really reply to that. Um yes, God of War isn't on here. I have played uh, quite a bit of Ragnarok at this point, close to 10 hours. That is a very good game. Probably would be on here if I beat it, but I haven't beat it yet. So, <laughs> once again, time. Going to be saying that a lot. Haven't had too much of it this year. Um but it is a great game, so shout out to that. But yeah, for, for Forbidden West, um, I I think it's just the fact that, yes, I can understand some of these side missions, some of these side activities, pulling you away from that main story, which a lot of people come to this game for that main story. So why yank us off that path so often? I think for me, I just wanted any excuse to just exist in this world. It just felt like the world, the is world horizon. Yeah, it is great. And like like I said, it's beautiful, but it just feels so comforting. It's, it is a very comforting place for me. And yes, it's a place with deadly, like deadly machines around every corner. Yes, it's a place with some unimaginably evil villains. Like if you talk about some of the story beats in here, they are doing some wild stuff. Um, and there's a very tragic past to this to this place as well. Stuff that you find out about in that first game. But despite all of that where it is right now is a very good place for it to be and it's just really fun just seeing these characters seeing their little individual squabbles and also seeing Aloy who has the weight of the world on her shoulders in a lot of ways 
Um, you're playing as her and seeing how she steps up to the occasion, how she rises to these impossible odds is always entertaining because she can't always do it on her own. And that's a big theme of this game as well. Um, so, yeah, I just love like I'll actually use that as a jumping off point talking about the story. Um, once again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but a big reason I love that first game, Horizon, Horizon Zero Dawn, is that it was it had really cool lore. I think the story of how that world is what it is and what led up to its creation is so fascinating. It might actually be my favorite like fantasy world just because of that lore, just the way that they spell it all out. That is just one of the coolest ways to do a, a science fiction world like this. And I think that's really awesome. But the problem with that first game is, oh, I could tell you about the lore all day. I couldn't tell you what happened in the active plot that was actually happening present day because it just didn't stick to my brain. Like I think of it now, I remember like some of the characters vaguely, but like what actually happened in that final boss fight, I don't really remember. It was all just a bunch of stuff that happened. This game, the active plot is just as interesting as the lore this time around. And they finally brought it together in harmony. There's some new characters that they introduce. I, I think you've heard that Carrie Ann Moss is one of the actresses in this game. That's uh, Trinity from the Matrix movies. Um, her character, I'm not going to spoil what it is. Her character is wild. Like the fact that they introduce another layer of science fiction into this already sci-fi world and it works and it makes sense in the story is just incredible. I absolutely love that layer of it. Uh, and then they, they just keep adding like, like you think the story is this type of story and then they add another complication to it that makes it a little bit more like, oh yeah, this element also exists in this world. This element also exists in this world. And every time they do it, it doesn't make it more convoluted. It kind of expands the scope. It does the, um, not to, you know, not to take a dump on a very easy franchise to take a dump on, but it does the opposite of Star Wars where a lot of, a lot of the Star Wars movies, especially those main trilogies, they build on top of themselves in a way where they don't expand out into a universe. It's just this one group of people and this group of people are so important that they have connections to everything else and it just stays within that insular group. And it kind of like limits your imagination when it comes to what's possible in that world. Horizon keeps adding on complexities that expands the possibilities further and further and further as you think about it. And that's always the most engaging type of media to me. And Horizon gave that to me in spades. So yeah, top to bottom, this game's great. Uh, I got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because once again, Horizon Forbidden West came out right before Elden Ring. No one will remember Horizon, but I will remember Horizon. Gosh darn it. It is probably a, it's not a perfect video game, but it's probably a perfect video game for me. It does everything I want and gives me everything I'm looking for. So it's a great title. Well, I may have to hop into that once I finally get PlayStation 5. Yeah. I'll say this one's maybe worth it to play on PS4. But also, if you're going to get a oh, PS5, it is on that's, PS4, plans, that's right. Yeah. If that's in your plans to get a PS5, I would save it so you can play with that high frame rate mode. Because something about this game, I, was, I said this during a spoiler cast we recorded for VGU.TV. You can go check that out uh from months and months ago when the game came out but just this game in motion like i i could sit the controller down watch aloy just stand there and like watch all the fireflies swim around and the grass moving like just this game stationary in motion it's like almost overwhelming how many things are happening on screen uh it just feels like they talk about moving paintings it feels like that sometimes where it's just like man this is just such a alive world in so many different ways so 
yeah, it's engaging. Definitely engaging on PS5. And now, going off of that from Forbidden West being one of the big AAA games this year, and arguably one of the most AAA AAA games that are out there with big open worlds, lots of colors, and just all the fidelity going into the world, I want to talk about a little indie game that I thoroughly enjoyed this year. That's Tiny Kin. Hell yeah. Tiny Kin is just, it's just a lovely game <laughs> where it is this very small, literally very small, uh, like retro style platformer. Retro style being like that N64 styled retro mm-hmm. with Banjo-Kazooie and Conker and all of this era of 3D platformers where it's very much a collectathon platformer, but with some modern intricacies where it is you're not collecting a whole bunch of different things. There is a limited amount of things that you're collecting through the world. And that's one of my favorite things of this game is the world itself, because the world is some guy's house. (laughs) The world is some guy's house that you as the main character, Milo, have landed on, similar to Pikmin. Uh, which felt like uh, a shout out to Pikmin since some of the gameplay is inspired by Pikmin, where rather than using these the tiny kin themselves that you find throughout the world for a strategy game style adventure, it's a platformer. So some of these tiny kin's abilities involve stacking them into a big tower. So you run around the world, you collect these uh, little guys that are just hiding around. And the world being some guy's living room. (laughs) But it's some guy's living room in a weird sense where it has been taken over by almost like a post-apocalypse style living room. And which is one of the cooler aspects of uh, going through the game and really trying to figure out what happened to this to Earth and what happened to this world that put this guy's house in this place. Hmm. And exploring the game is just super, it's it's wholesome, where every time you complete something in the game, it, when you complete a task, uh, such as connecting uh, webs, you can connect webs through the game for fast travel around these wide levels. Hmm. So for traversal, for even faster traversal, you have a little bar of soap. And that bar of soap acts as like a surfboard or a skateboard to very quickly traverse through the world. And once you have these spiders shoot out webs to different points across the world, you can grind on them like Tony Hawk. Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) So you can grind along these rails to get to different major points of the world itself. And every time you complete it, all of your tiny kin that you have along with you will just cheer. (laughs) And that is a consistent thing through the game where as you complete things and as you complete tasks, all of your tiny can cheer. Even some of the other creatures in the game, which are all bug based, all of the bugs will cheer along with you and cheering you on like you did something. You did it. And the game has this very just like heartfelt and comforting nature to everything that you complete, which is probably why I enjoyed it so much. Where no matter what you do, every little thing, people would cheer you on. Uh, And even like when you die and you can die in some pretty cartoony, violent ways, (laughs) 
where your character will just explode. Gotta love that. And you see, there's one part where you can get like hyper inflated and you inflate so much that you blow up <laughs> in, in a really like fun cartoony way. And that's the only time that the tiny kin or characters of the game will be like, oh, <laughs> uh, and they very quickly mourn your death before you respawn. But just having all of these characters go and cheer you on as you complete things and seeing how they reinterpret some things where the whole first level is about this mystical music that you can hear or this sound that you hear it and it's because there's like a cassette player for uh, like a boom box that's in the room wow and these bugs have taken to worshiping the sound that this music makes and once you finally get that cassette player going and you unlock the ability for more than just the the shaman bugs to remember the sound and suddenly everyone is enlightened because they can hear the music of the universe and everyone once you're done with the level is just dancing along with the music and it's just these really fun payoffs in the similar to what you said with horizon where it's like your favorite kind of world i think it's because i just watched a lot of toy story growing up <laughs> or something but worlds at this kind of scale where you are a small little creature in just a normal world and how that play of scale helps with reinterpreting what you see in your everyday life. That is maybe my favorite kind of scale. And it's especially fun to see in video games. And we don't see that a lot in video games. But we saw it in two games this year. <laughs> Another one of my like shout-outs for this year, Grounded. That one's also very fun. And plays yes. at a similar scale and really mess with me in some cases because I really don't like hurting bugs. Really? Because uh, bugs are great. Ants, ants are, ants are cute. Spiders, lots of spiders are great. Ladybugs, ladybugs I, I, especially are like super cute to have around. I would never murder a ladybug. It's not going to do anything to me. Which was one of my sticking points with Grounded where early on you have to kill a ladybug if you want to progress down the tech tree. And oh, yeah. which is one of the main issues I had moving forward with uh, my tech trees and just moving the game along because I refuse to kill a ladybug, <laughs> especially <laughs> since the game makes it out to be so cute. Yeah. The more you humanize them, the harder it is to kill them. Yeah. And which was part of the reason why I also like Tinykin. You don't kill anything in game. There's no real violence other than the occasional time you die. All of it is just you adventuring, you solving these bugs problems. I I just really liked how there was no like combat. It was all just adventure based. And it's all on mm. you adventuring around and solving these humanized bugs problems. Yeah, I'll say this. So Tinykin is a game that I've been interested in. Uh, it's on Game Pass, which is the main reason why I've been interested to play it or expecting to play it at all. Um, but it's just a game where I really don't have any problem with it or there's no reason I haven't gotten to it. It's just one where, once again, time. But I I did play the demo for it before it came out. I think it was a Steam Next Fest, Steam Next Fest demo or maybe one of those Xbox demo fest things. Um, played it and I really do enjoy it. It does have that nice, pretty graphical art style. The 2D and 3D type of art always gets me. I love those types of designs. Uh, I was never a Pikmin person, so all these mechanics related to Pikmin, this is my first exposure to them, and I'm really liking how they work out. 
Uh, and then that soap bar, when you were talking about that, I was like, man, I just want the whole bar, the whole game to just let me glide around on a bar of soap. That would just be really funny. And it sounds like you can do that a lot more than I did. You can. Demo, so. Like, you can exclusively traverse with the soap bar and your bubbles that you use for hovering around the levels. So you don't have to use your feet at any time. You can just use a soap bar, but you it does get very fast. And so there are some times where it is a little unwieldy, especially with some of the more precise and precision-based platforming you have to do in some later levels. Mm, fair enough. But you can almost exclusively use the soap bar everywhere. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, I will definitely do that because, hey, I, I have no adversity to go on fast. We already talked about Titanfall 2, so I will speed around this place if I need to. So yeah, big big fan of that. But yeah, Tinykin is definitely one that I need to check out. That's uh, that's on the backlog, probably for 2023. But it's definitely one I want to get around to. And hopefully you can get around to it while we take a break and a message from our sponsor. And we're back. And for our next game that we enjoyed this year, or at least you enjoyed this year, I didn't have much experience with this game. I played the demo, but considering it's one of my favorite franchises, I really need to get to this. And that's Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Yes, yes. Yes, Kirby in the Forgotten Land. It's a great game. Also, during that ad break, I played the entirety of Tinykin. So that's the next game. Of- no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to play with that pitch off there. Um, but yeah, Kirby in the Forgotten Land. I am... Quite frankly, I'm flabbergasted by how much I fell in love with this game. I am not a Kirby person at all. I'm really not a Nintendo person at all. I bought a Switch because I felt like I needed one because everyone kept talking about Zelda and you know Mario Odyssey, all this other stuff. So I had a Switch. Don't really play it too much. Uh, I still haven't beaten Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild. I still haven't beaten Odyssey just because those games are fine to me. Um, but Kirby... Something was special about it. Just looking at the trailers when it came to Forgotten Land specifically, I've always been interested in Kirby because Kirby is probably one of the top 10 cutest characters of all time. Just like looking at him, he's just a pink ball of joy. Like, how can you not want to be interested in that? Uh, So I've always been interested in his games, but I didn't really care about the 2D platforming. It just felt like, oh, this is very Game Boy era Nintendo, like I want something a little bit more modern. Forgotten Land is exactly the amount of modern I was looking for. Um, it's just a very wonderful, it's a wonderful world. Like it's very cute and all, but it's very varied, which I didn't expect. I thought it was going to be fairly consistent in its art style. I know in the trailers they were like, oh, it's like post-apocalyptic a little bit, uh, but mix that with some of the Kirby cuteness. But it's more than just post-apocalyptic. It's not just broken down shopping malls. It's broken down uh, London trains. It's broken down amusement parks. It's a lot of different places. Later on in the game, I I wrote in my notes, the most adorable not platinum game ever. (laughs) And I say that because, as you already probably know, if you've played any Kirby game, you're getting different abilities. You know, you're, you're eating different enemies. And now you have fire ability. Now you have sword ability. Uh, now you have sleep ability in some cases. Well, you can upgrade all of these abilities and they have different tiers. Once you get to that third tier of upgrade, almost all of them have like some crazy anime, impossibly overpowered ability attached to it that just makes Kirby into a god effectively. <laughs> and it's it's bizarre, but it still works. Like 
there's this one ability called Time Crash, where literally once you've upgraded it to the max level and you hold the button down long enough, it just stops time all around you. And if Kirby just touches it, it just disintegrates. But it like pauses in time until the circle closes back and time is moving again. And then everything you touch while time was paused just like wipes off the map. <laughs> oh, wow. It is. It's very crazy. And that's just one of the random abilities there. Um, and then I don't want to spoil anything, but there are some quick time events and some set pieces towards the very end of the game that feel like like y'all played Bayonetta one and just wanted to do some of that in Kirby. <laughs> like is that type of over the top, just just insane stuff going on in this game. And that's kind of the charm of it, where I I'm also someone who loves Bayonetta as well. Bayonetta is probably. It's not officially top 10 because I haven't put it on my top 100 list yet. But when I make my edits, it's probably going to be top 10. Bayonetta is one of my favorite franchises. So to see someone taking that energy, taking that over the top insanity and putting into something that's so innocent, and so cute as Kirby, that is absolutely my jam. Uh, and like I said, I don't play my Switch too much. Part of the reason I don't, it's struggling to keep any game above like 30 frames a second or to keep anything above 720p. Um but this game, it knew how to hide it. It knew how to hide the technical flaws. It has a really cool feature where if something is in the background, it doesn't animate every single frame of its animation. Uh, so it leads to like, if you're if you're seeing something in the background, it might be animated at like 10 frames a second instead of the 60 frames a second everything in the foreground is. Um, and it kind of adds to the art style. Instead of it looking janky, it kind of makes it look kind of like not painterly it gives like claymation vibes almost um because everything in the world is so like cute and almost like chibi it kind of gives that vibe that oh this is part of the aesthetic rather than a technical limitation um and then the game overall is running at 60 frames more often than not it's kind of impressive how often it's able to keep that performance up um so it's really good and yeah i'm a kirby fan now like i I bought a hoodie that I wore during my whole extra life stream for my birthday. Uh, it's just a Kirby hoodie because I like Kirby now. I got a Kirby Amiibo right after I played the game. Like I'm, I'm all in on Kirby. So uh, yeah, they make another 3D Kirby. I will be there. This is this is now a game that I will buy a Switch for if they make a sequel to. And yeah, it's I'm happy that one Switch game was able to deliver on all my expectations. <laughs> wink, wink, hint, hint. It wasn't Bayonetta three. Sorry, sorry to say. And see, I come at this as being an old school Kirby fan where I, I've i always liked Kirby, hmm. where Kirby was one of the first games I got with my Game Boy Advance back in the day hmm. uh, with Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland. I think I played a little bit of that when I was like six years old. Yeah. <laughs> and then I kept doubling down on every Kirby adventure that came out up until I think it was Mass Attack. Uh, Mass Attack was the one that. Uh, I started falling off on and maybe I felt like I was maybe growing out of the Kirby phase, but amazing mirror squeak squad canvas curse and all of these other different Kirby games. I I just ate them up because they're, they're fun adventures, but as you said, yes, they have all been two dimensional, which is why over most of my lifetime at this point, this is another one of these games that is, I've been waiting most of my life for, and I'm not sure why I haven't gotten to it yet. (laughs) Because the dream of a 3D Kirby has been alive since the N64. And multiple times throughout the decades, they tried happening on GameCube, and all we ended up getting was Air Ride. And Air Ride yeah. was the closest taste to a 3D Kirby that we'd gotten. 
and it almost happened on on Wii. It almost happened on 3DS, but at no point has there ever actually been a 3D Kirby, which is why when uh, the Forbidden or Forgotten Land, excuse me, came out, I I'm not sure why I missed it. It may have been because of Elden Ring. Yeah, uh, quite honestly, because they came around. It came out around the same time because I believe Kirby came out in like mid March or so. Yeah. Elden Ring was maybe a week or two before Kirby, so people were probably still knee-deep in that by the time Kirby hit. Oh, absolutely, which is probably why I didn't get to it. And I still need to get to it, because, well, I love Kirby. And I'd love to go on a weird post-apocalyptic adventure where the, you can swallow for some weirdly realistic-looking cars, among other <laughs> things. Yeah, it, and that's another thing. Like the mouthful mode is a I know it's kind of like a meme mechanic, but it actually does kind of give Kirby the chance to have some cool set pieces because it's hard for a Kirby game, you know. In a Kirby game, you're doing the same thing every day. You're sucking up a character and you're using their ability. And once you've seen all dozen or two of these abilities, then you've pretty much seen them all. But upgrading them is a reason to keep playing so you can see what these new things turn out to. And then the mouthful mode adds the ability to have set pieces in these games. So it's not just Kirby walking around a building that's crumbling around them or something like that. It's literally you suck up a pipe and you're rolling down a mountain as a pipe. <laughs> and that's like, a, it turns into kind of like a, maybe Temple Run is the way, like an endless runner where all you can do is jump because you don't have control of your momentum. So you're like, all right, let me dodge this, dodge this, dodge this, just so you collect all the coins. Um, and of course, there's all these cool upgrades. They have a lot of accessibility as far as like, well, Nintendo's not great with accessibility as far as like subtitles and things like that, but they are great when it comes to difficulty and challenge. Um, this is a game you can play always with a second player. You can get someone to play as Bandana Waddle Dee, um, which is really cool if you just want, you know, sometimes that's good for kids as well. Uh, but also they have a lot of upgrades in there to let me pay 100 coins and now I have an extra life. So if I die in combat and the combat is surprisingly, it's not hard. But it's surprisingly, you have to care about the combat and you have to pay attention more than you would expect from a Kirby game. So it is, it's pretty intense in that way. So they have a lot of fail safes in there to where you can buy yourself a little extra cake that Kirby eats right before he dies and boom, you're back on the map. Um, or you can just buy health things to put in your pocket in general just to keep your health topped off or stretch out that health bar a little bit. So yeah, there are a lot of ways that this game, it just really wants people to play it and it's very welcoming in a way that I appreciate from a lot of 3D platformers. And I, I'm glad I played Kirby. If I didn't play Kirby, I was going to say Super Lucky's Tale is one that I finally, or new Super Lucky's Tale is one that I finally beat at the beginning of the year. That has stuck with me as well. But Kirby just did that exact same thing and brought it to 11 for me. So yeah, I love that game. Really, really good. And now going off of things that are inspired from my childhood uh, and things that come back from my childhood and now into more games, Marvel's Midnight Suns. Ooh, someone likes this game. That's good. Yes, I like this game a lot more than I anticipated. Where, going off of just the original gameplay pitch of it being a card-based deck-building strategy game, and I'm a huge fan of deck builders, I am a huge fan of strategy games, hmm. then you throw in Marvel superheroes, because I do love me some comic books, and some MCU fun, but more comic books on top of that, uh, and the yeah. original cartoons from the 90s, 80s, 
and even before that, some of the campier Spider-Man shows. And you just throw it all into this world, and it's it's from Firaxis, the team behind Civilization, but specifically on this one, the team behind XCOM, which is one of my favorite strategy games. And you get this just amazing, wonderful strategy game that is, frankly, one of the most welcoming strategy games. And I'm glad that they use the Marvel IP for that, since a lot of people are getting into superhero games now because of the MCU. And now that superhero games are starting to be better than they used to be, like with the original movie tie-ins to the Marvel movies that would come out, like the Sega Iron Man games that are really bad. And the the yeah. Sega Thor game that's really bad. There were there were some it dark times bad. for superhero games, but now you get like mm-hmm. Marvel Spider Man on PlayStation. You get the Avengers to a lesser extent, but Midnight Suns is definitely not like the Avengers game. It is phenomenal in all degrees. And by mm-hmm. watching interviews with the team behind the game, specifically the director who is a big fan of comic books, which is really what I liked about it more, where he says he's a big fan of comic books, and in all the writing and in all the details, it shows. Where it's one of the major criticisms I saw from a lot of reviewers, where it doesn't feel like the MCU. It doesn't feel like that kind of dialogue, because it it feels like a comic book. (laughs) Uh, It feels like comic book characters are talking to each other, And sometimes that involves dialogue that maybe goes on one line or two too long. Or because it's not really like people talking to each other. It's comic book characters talking to each other. And it's like comic book dialogue that happens to be playing out in a video game. And that may throw off some people who are looking for something closer to like the MCU. Or like a Marvel movie rather than being a comic book fan. And which was a lot of the criticisms I saw from people going on. It's like, oh, these aren't my MCU characters. These aren't the characters that I love and know. And that's part of the fun of comic books is how malleable these characters are. Mm -hmm. And how just from one run to the next, based off of what writing team or what editorial team is working on the comic, the character can be completely different which is how we get all of these massive stories that have been adapted into superhero films over the time. That's also why some people are still adjusting to seeing different people portray these characters on screen. And the only real time we've gotten that is with Spider-Man and with Batman. Yeah. And Superman to some lesser extent, even though we haven't gotten a Superman film in a while. But back on the gameplay... It also does something that I really liked where when playing XCOM, it's super stressful. Every move can be death. And considering the stakes that are in that game with permadeath, and that feels especially bad if you name your characters after people you know or after friends, after people you idolize. It can be especially bad to be like, oh, no, my best friend was just murdered by an alien lizard lady. (laughs) And man, and that's that that's that's it for that character. And you can save scum all you want, but that adds to the gameplay loop. There's there's churn to it with this game. They're 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 superheroes. And so worst case scenario, other than 
when you tackle some of the supervillains in games, the worst case is that you're going to get injured. And even getting injured in game, not much happens. You can get injured and you lose the ability to do certain things. Like a character can't move anymore. So you can't use the movement mechanics to traverse around the play field. Hmm. But you can heal them. You heal them once you get back to your main base. And that gets into some of the other aspects of the game, which is the social system. where you need to make friends with all of these different characters on your team. And it's one of my favorite parts about comic books is just seeing all of these different heroes and godlike characters, even though Marvel focuses less on them being godlike, even when they are actual gods. Yeah. (laughs) And having them interact with each other. And when they're interacting, it really does feel like these 90s Marvel cartoons. Specifically, with a lot of the X-Men characters, it feels like the show X-Men Evolution, which is when they turned the Xavier Academy for Gifted Individuals into a high school. And it was like a high school drama or like a teen drama. It specifically feels like that. And I get where some reviewers come where some of the writing can be a little cringy, especially with some of the teenage characters. But the game really likes to focus on the adult character saying, hey, these are teenagers and we need to cater to them as such. And we need to treat them as such, even when it comes to some of the darker, more thematic themes that come in later towards the game, where they're very adult things that these teenagers unfortunately also have to deal with. And so there's a lot of like combative attitude between the actual adults who always do this, the Avengers that come in and the teens that run like the Midnight Suns part of it and the clash between there. And navigating the social systems feels a lot more welcoming than in something even like Persona, where with Persona, it I get like weirdly anxious because I tried playing Persona 5 this year again, huh. where I really like Persona 4 Golden, but even then I was stressed about it And on my Vita, I would only use the option of selecting what everyone else suggested through the social links, where there was a social button that you could press and it showed what everyone else made a decision to make at a certain time. Hmm. And that really helped with a lot of the time management in game. And I think it's because of that, where because I have so many difficulties managing my own time that going into a game and also having to manage the time of this other person felt especially stressful. And in Midnight Suns, there's only two times. There is morning and there's night. Morning, you prep, you go on missions, you heal people, but it's mostly going on these story-based missions. You come back, it's at night, time to rest. And you choose to do one or two things at night and there's no limitations To, hey, if you do this, you're not going to be able to make this social link with someone else. There's no real weight to it. It's sort of like, hey, Hmm. this can wait for another day. Wow. Okay. There is time management and what you want to focus on, what characters you want to focus on. But it's not like you can't go and nurture that relationship later. Hmm. Okay. 
this you the more you're saying the more i'm like uh maybe this is a game for me because i've i've had my eye out for marvel midnight suns ever since they started talking about it and comparing it to something like slay the spire one of my favorite games of all all time again um it's not on my top 100 list but when i make my edits it's going on there um yeah slay the spire is one of my favorite games so you talking about deck builders card battlers something like marvel uh and i'm a big fan of marvel's most of their ips i'll say um so yeah this seems like it's perfect for me oh also i played a lot of the original XCOM back on the playstation 3 so i even have a little bit experience with firaxis stuff so it definitely seems like a game that would be for me i did hear a lot about the writing what you're talking about the writing might be a little bit cringe in some areas but i think that's just the mcu brain being the default people expect rather than the comics being the default they expect so perhaps i'll be able to go through that and muster muster the strength to meet it where it is rather than take my own expectations into it too too much but uh yeah midnight sun seems great uh i know they had some performance issues on pc so i'm kind of waiting to see because if i was to play this game this is a perfect steam deck game like just 100 this just seems like it's made for that especially with how easy it is to pop in and out of the game where you can do one mission and one mission will take maybe like hmm. 10 15 minutes tops and then you just go home you can put the game in sleep mode like i frequently do on my xbox and that can be it. That can be your whole playtime, which is similar to like one run in Slate Aspire. You just do one run and that's it for the time, if that's all you have time for. So the drop in and drop out nature of it, I feel would be really good yeah. for something yeah, like so Steam Deck. That's the thing, though. Apparently it runs on Steam Deck, but the performance is pretty awful. So waiting until they make some patches, maybe some Proton updates. But yeah, this definitely seems like a game I'd be interested in, a game that I could see myself getting into um once again time we'll see if i have time to eventually come around to it because there are so many things on my backlog like we're about to talk about in a second that i've been playing as well but uh yeah marvel midnight suns like it looks like fire axis has done a good job of mainstreaming that type of strategy game just by adding enough elements from other titles and also using that marvel ip to kind of bring it up to a level of triple a-ness i guess to where Hopefully, hopefully this becomes very successful. Hopefully this is at least on the level of an XCOM, if not way bigger. So, because they deserve it. They're a good studio. Firaxis absolutely deserves the success oh, yeah. outside of Civilization. <laughs> Where Civ Civilization's big, but XCOM has always been like the other thing. And now that they're delving into that kind of squad-based strategy and out card-based strategy with their other titles, it'd be great mm -hmm. to see how this performs. But as you mentioned, with mainstream success and to some degree, surprise mm. mainstream success. Yes. The Steam Deck. And you've been, are you an early Steam Deck uh, evangelist at this point? I'll say this. I've always loved the idea of a Steam Deck. I didn't actually have my hands on one until sometime this past fall. So maybe early October is when I finally got my hands on it. And oh my God, <laughs> this thing is the greatest thing ever. Um, so folks who know me are aware of my antics and such on the internet, y'all know I'm a big fan of a little title, or not a little title, a little console by the name of the PlayStation Vita. I love that thing to death. I played it a bunch back in the day. I beat, literally, I beat a game on it this year. I beat Lego uh, Marvel Avengers on Vita towards the beginning of the year sometime in March. So like, I've been in the trenches of Vita for a long time. I still am to a large degree. 
I have always craved for another portable handheld because the big thing about the Vita was it's basically your PS3 level games in the palm of your hand. And I thought that was so innovative, so cool, so interesting. Then the Steam Deck comes out and it's basically PS4 level graphical power in the palm of your hand. And that immediately was appealing. So once I got this thing finally, yes, I installed, I, I rebought Control on Steam just so I could play it on Steam Deck. And it runs at a glorious 60 frames. It is insane that it can even keep up to that degree. But I've bought a bunch of games on Steam Deck. Even this week, I bought, <clears throat> there were a bunch of Humble Bundles coming back in sale for the holidays. And I said, oh, the 2K bundle. Let me go ahead and snatch up all the XCOM games <laughs> so I can play it out on Steam Deck. Um, let me go ahead and snatch up the Bioshock games because I want to do a playthrough of the DLC for Infinite. So I got that ready to go on Steam Deck. And out of morbid curiosity, this is going to be a bad game, but you're talking to someone who plays bad games for fun. Um, I, I want to. I just want to beat, just to say I've beat it, Duke Nukem Forever. <laughs> <laughs> it is not good like even i started it up last night and i'm like oh it, this it is, is not oh yeah it is it is cringe and gross in a lot of ways that you couldn't get away with in modern days but i kind of it's, it's one of those morbid curiosities man i want to see it through that's the whole thing with steam deck i'll play all these games you know some older slight slightly older classics some modern stuff runs really well as well we talked about Slay Aspire earlier, played a lot of Slay Aspire on it. It has the touchscreen and everything. It's perfect. But outside of the games, I have been tweaking this thing to high heaven. I have just been doing all these little edits and just shifting things around to get it to be my most perfect possible console. They have this, they have a plugin called Decky Loader, and that's basically like a side loader for Steam Deck. So it can add different add-ons, different tweaks and mods and such like that. Uh, I've added a sound pack to my Steam Deck. So instead of it having the typical Steam sounds of, you know, when you're paging through content or when you're opening up a game or the achievement sounds, all that, I switched it out with the PS3 sounds. So it's all like the XMB ticking whenever I'm scrolling through content. Um, it's the <laughs> it's the PSP sound, like when you get that alert on PlayStation 3 or PSP and it goes that little whisper sound. It makes that. But the most perfect thing. All achievements I earn on Steam Deck is the trophy notification. <laughs> so I have perfectly made it because, like I said, I'm a big PlayStation nerd. That's like my that's my history. And um, I was able to make it that way. Of course, people know emulation is a big thing when it comes to Steam Deck. And I've been going crazy with emulation. I replaying Burnout 3 for the first time in like 15 years on Steam Deck. Uh, don't even have to take out my console and take out my disc for it. It's like, oh, I just play it in bed. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of features packed in there. And besides all that stuff, like when I first got it, I was able to get all my cloud gaming stuff running on there. So I had Xbox Game Pass set up and I can just boot that up and play a game very easily. I had PlayStation Remote Play. I was playing Saints Row the Reboot on my Steam Deck from my PS5 pretty much very, very easily just with very minimal setup. Uh, and back when it was a thing, Wild. I had Stadia running on it. <laughs> <laughs> and Stadia still does work. I can still boot it up and it would work. But, you know, there's no point since it closes in like two, three weeks at this point. But, yeah, I had everything on Steam Deck. I still have everything on Steam Deck. And at this point, I've upgraded stuff. I got a new memory card that kind of runs a little bit faster so it can keep up with the games I'm throwing at it. And, yeah, I love this thing. The Achilles heel or maybe like the monkey's paw curling is the fact that, yes, I'm playing more games than I ever have before. I am adding more games to my backlog than I ever have before. 
because now it's oh is it steam deck verified all right i'll buy it <laughs> or if it's playable i'll buy it or even if it's not playable i'll check the community made database of proton games and if it has a good rating on that community database i'll still buy it <laughs> like i will go through and i have bought so many games that i'm like oh yeah i'll play that one day knowing that in all likelihood that probably will never happen i've just stacked up my steam library so much i already had like maybe 200 games or so in there it's definitely past 300 at this point and i still have keys that i haven't even claimed because i'm like i'll just give these away because they came in a bundle but i only wanted three games out the bundle <laughs> So it's like a whole thing. So yeah, Steam Deck, it is a blessing. A little bit of a curse because of that backlog thing, but it is almost 100% a blessing. It is one of the greatest handhelds ever made. I am always astounded by how easy it is to use, how fun it is to use. The novelty of it has not worn off. Yes, it's only been a couple months, but I can see myself playing this thing for years to come. It is that good. Now with the Steam Deck and you delving into that, has it made you consider becoming even more of a pc focused person oh yes uh definitely it's one of those things where i my default if i was to just go into my room and turn on a console i'm turning on the playstation 5 or the xbox first that's like my go-to's but i i do dabble in pc every now and then i for i got lucky in a contest last year and won a free pc code for resident evil village uh so i played the entirety of that game on pc uh, same thing for some other games. I, I have Resident Evil 2 on PC, so I started that here. Uh, there's plenty of games I played on PC. Dusk I played on PC as well, since it was only on there and Switch, and I wanted it to run well, so I played it on PC. But yeah, I'm not adverse to PC gaming, but I can definitely see Steam Deck being the catalyst to get me deeper into it, because I bought a PC in 2017. It can run most games pretty well. Um, I played Elden Ring. I actually bought it for Steam Deck and it runs well. It took me a while to figure out how to get it running on PC because I had some weird controller input issue. But once I figured that out, it was running at a beautiful 60 frames, you know, 1440p on PC. It was perfect. I just don't always love I'm this computer chair I'm sitting in right now as we're recording this. I'm in this chair like 80% of the day if I'm not at work. <laughs> and so sometimes I'm like, all right, let me get out of this chair. Let me, if not put on a VR headset or get out the Ring Fit band, let me at least get on the couch and play something from there instead of just watching a YouTube video or typing up something in this computer chair. So I can just take a, my TV is right next to my computer, so I could just take an HDMI cord and boom, I got the display on there. But nine times out of 10, if I'm going to play a PC game, I'm probably going to play it through, you know, just playing it through the Steam Deck. I literally... All my Steam Deck play, or at least most of it, has been, I, I work night shifts, so I'm usually getting home at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., so I have like an hour or two before I'm actually ready to fall asleep, because I get home, take a shower, and once I get the shower, I'm like, I'm awake again, and then I get in bed, get the Steam Deck, and I play it until I fall asleep, which is usually about an hour or two, so that's been the method of attack, and I still will play a lot of PC games at this point. I've collected so many random games for Steam Deck that I'm not going to play them all on that handheld. They won't all fit, <laughs> even with the giant memory card I have. So I will be playing a lot more stuff on proper PC, uh, but I don't know if it's going to completely switch it because at the end of the day, I love PlayStation games. Like I'm playing through God of War right now, and also Game Pass is just too good of a deal that I'm going to be playing a lot of stuff on the console Game Pass rather than the PC Game Pass just because I prefer you know being on the couch a lot more. Some would say it's the best deal in gaming. Yeah, many would say, and they're probably absolutely right. 
until they start adding PS2 games to PlayStation Plus Premium. But hey, I that's a that's a pipe dream at this point. We shall see. But now that we're on the topic of handhelds, I wanted to bring up my last game, or rather, 24 games. But <laughs> these 24 games, specifically, can only be played on one thing, and that is the Panic Playdate. And oh my god, <laughs> I love this thing. Where, th- this is an audio-only podcast, so you can imagine this right now. I'm holding up to the camera that we have on this call, this little purple thing. And I am huh. opening up, and here is the device itself. It, it's so small. It's so cute. Like, it's weird calling a device itself cute. <laughs> but this thing is adorable. I get the same reaction of looking at Kirby. Yes, that I was looking just about to say that. at this device. Because it's it has this welcoming yellow glow to it. The It reflects the light just fine with the plastics in this very warm and welcoming way. But there's one very special thing about the Playdate, and that is the crank. Mm-hmm. And this crank has opened up all new ways of just being with a game. Because there, there's no other device that has a crank. You don't put a crank on the controller. Exactly. Like imagine a dual sense controller, and then there's just this weird crank in the middle <laughs> that you use to interact with radio yeah. menus. Cranks don't belong on controllers. They belong on Soldier Boy singles. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the the crank has just, it's changed the game. Where you, you can hear some of my uh, Playdate noises. Uh, or, see, right there, that's such a Nintendo-esque, like, joyous little bling to turn on. Yeah, it's it's very joyful. And just navigating the menus itself and everything about it is just joyful. Going through the thumbnails for each game that has... It's all in black and white. But going through the thumbnails and just seeing how much character you can get by only really having three colors. You have black, you have white, and you have gray. And that's it. And seeing people just go off with different shading techniques and how they animate their thumbnails... And I, I should probably just get into the actual game itself. <laughs> so the game release format was very strange, where you get two games. Once you get the device, you get two games a week. And you don't know when in the next week these games are going to pop up. You will just have a little blinking green light on your device that says, hey, there's new games. <laughs> and when you get these new games, they come gift wrapped so in the device you have a new thumbnail and it's wrapped like a present and you can either press a button to unwrap it or you can use the crank to unwrap the bow that's on the present itself and open it up and then you see your new game Hmm. and these new games can vary from all sorts of different things the the first two games that you get when you open up your play date is Whitewater Wipeout. It's an endless surfer where it's a surfing game that you traverse down a really big wave and all traversal is controlled with the crank. Ah. So you spin around your surfer in 360 degrees by using the crank and using that to carve through your waves to do little tricks once you jump off the top of the wave. And that's how you navigate. 
and it is super fun and based off of your scores that you get through with each round you can ping online and you can see the online database to see how everyone else is doing see what the high scores for the week are for all time are and the other game is casual birder which is a sort of zelda inspired adventure less zelda more like earthbound like a 2d rpg but there's no combat or anything to it it's all about taking pictures of birds around an island and the one item that you have is your camera and in order to take pictures you press a button and brings up your camera over the screen and you have to pull focus using the crank (laughs) to get the bird in focus and then you can take a picture of it oh and just having the crank as a mechanism to navigate with things is real fun where some games use it more than others. Some games don't use it at all, but there's a snake game on the, on the device called snack, (laughs) which is snake, but controlled exclusively with the crank. I love that. There is other interpretations of the device itself where there's like some, there's golfing games where you use the crank to hit the ball there is different puzzle games or brick breaker style games that use the crank to navigate the the paddle hmm. and bounce around the ball. Other ones use it. There's been a I think there's three different games that I found so far that use the crank to navigate time. Yes, I've seen a couple of those as well. Yeah, where there is the game from the creator of Katamari Damacy which is, I don't totally remember the name of the game. Ah, Kranken Presents Time Travel Adventures. I just booted up the game right now. If you can hear the music yeah, I hear in the, the lullaby, yeah. This game is controlled exclusively with the crank. Oh, Kranken's having a good little nap. Let's pop out of that. <laughs> Kranken is used exclusively to traverse through time using the crank. And there, there are just so many different games that all use this crank in very innovative game or innovative ways. There are some that have really good stories and go through them because it's just a whole new way to make games. And the team at Panic has been very good on supporting indies. Hell yeah. Where on itch.io, you can go through and find all of these little indie games that people have made exclusively for the play date. There's no other way to play these where there's one that I've enjoyed called Adventures of Etad, little date backwards. Huh, okay. Uh, which is a old school dungeon crawler, similar to something like the original Dungeons and Dragons, Ultima, or even some of the older, was it King's Quest? King, no, not or King's, King's Quest. Field? King's Field. Yeah. yeah. From software, that's the game. Uh, so it's a first-person yeah. dungeon crawler that is... Very limited in how you move weapons you control using the crank. So you just crank in order to swing your sword or swing other weapons in the game. And it, That's goofy. I like it. There's just all sorts of different ways that people are taking the crank and just taking the limitations of the device. Because there's no color. The Other than the crank, there's also an accelerometer in the device. Similar to like your iPhone that uses it to, or any other smartphone that uses it to track rotation. 
and what position the device is in. It uses that as well. The the speaker. Just, there's so many things that come in and just creativity that has been founded in the limitations of the device. And it is a little pricey. It's $180 for considering the limitations of the device. But that's $180 for 24 super polished fun games that you get and guarantee that you're going to have a good time for at least 12 weeks that you have the device. Hmm. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, go ahead. It And it's been just my favorite little uh, travel companion where, because I don't like, there are some games I like playing on my phone, but the less time I can spend on my phone, the better. Uh, understandable. Yes. <laughs> and so using this little device brings me back to when I would pull out my Game Boy Advance, my DS, on trips with my parents or just going around different places. And it brings me back to just a simpler time where I could just sit down and have a dedicated gaming device in my hands. Somewhere to do a Steam Deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except Steam Deck, you probably shouldn't be pulling out your pocket unless you're like Andre the Giant 2 or something. <laughs> yeah, or uh, unless you have like Junko jeans that you can have <laughs> massive pockets. Exactly. Hold a two liter soda in your pocket along with your Steam Deck and the other one. Um, yeah, the play date fits perfectly. Like if you have like a polo shirt or any shirt that just has like a little shirt pocket, slides perfectly in. It is super portable. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a the play date is definitely something I've been interested in as well. Um, for me, it's a I'm attracted to it because it is so quirky. It is such an unpractical thing to exist, let alone own. And that's kind of the charm of it. Like, you know, we have game controls have been figured out. You know, people you got two analog sticks, you got four triggers, you got eight face or four face buttons and a directional pad like People pretty much know the template now. It's cool to see that people are still innovating with that stuff and giving new and interesting inputs. Like for the crank, it's cool to see that some people are doing the obvious thing of just replicating it as a X and Y axis so they can do stuff like Brick Breaker and just have the really obvious stuff there. But then also using it as a crank to go through time, multiple people coming that coming to that same conclusion in different games. Like that's just so fascinating to me. It kind of brings back that magic of like, because for me, you know, I'm always on the hunt for a game that will make me question or that will make me realize something new is possible. And it's kind of hard to do that as we get closer and closer to the standardization of how games work. Like, you know, a big reason why people don't like Horizon that much is because they feel like they know every single thing about that game without having to play it, which is true in a lot of respects. But in the case of Playdate, it's hard to get a grasp on how those games play without actually playing them. And that's really fascinating. That's really interesting. Yes, that price is a little bit hefty for a bunch of bite-sized games and a, you know, a device that isn't going to play Netflix, doesn't tweet, doesn't do anything like this. Um, but that's also kind of the point. You are paying for a very specific boutique experience, something that is going to be more special ideally than what you're getting from these other consoles and from these other devices. So yeah, it's one where I, it's one of those things where I have disposable income where I could have bought that. It's not something I can justify to myself quite yet, especially when I have so many other games to play. Um, but it's definitely something where once I do get around to it, cause at this point I think it might end up being a collector's item. I don't know if they're planning on putting these things into targets or something like that soon. Uh, but I could honestly say I would have a good time with it once I do get my hands on one. 
Yeah, there are some adventures in on the device that are significantly less bite-sized than other ones. Mm. There's one game, let me see if I can boot it up again, uh, called Ratcheteer. Oh. Ratcheteer hmm. is a full, like, 20-hour Zelda adventure. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, and it, it just keeps getting bigger the more I keep playing it, and it it, it it's fun. And it uses the crank minimally, where because your main character instead of having a sword, your main weapon is like a ratchet, hmm. and you use it to interact with different like nuts and bolts in game. So you can loosen things, you can tighten things, hmm. but otherwise combat is just button pushing, and it's just the sword animation from Zelda. <laughs> but it is—it's a huge game. It's surprisingly big. Hmm. Wow. Perhaps I shouldn't count it all out so so fast, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's the impressive thing about this when you give this in the hands of, especially the fact that they're leaning on indies so much for this, and not just indies but folks in the games industry who are known for their specific aesthetic touches and such like that, like getting with Takahashi of the Katari games uh, to or Katamari games, uh, getting him to do stuff on there, you know that's going to be an interesting thing. I I think it's a really good idea for them to focus on these indie developers because they're always going to pull out something more unique, something more interesting than you know a massive company that is just trying to min-max. What's the most popular mechanics we can have or the most popular actor we can have? How can we expand the scope of this where you know someone who has this very specific idea, they're going to execute on that. And if it is something massive, that's just as cool as something that is you know a cool hour-long experience. So yeah, very excited to try it one day. I don't know if any of my friends are going to get one. Maybe it's under the tree. I haven't said the words Playdate to any of my friends in person. So if they pick that up somehow, I'm going to be really impressed. But otherwise, yeah, it's definitely something that I, I've kept my eye on and looking to get my hands on. It is a very specific niche. And if you are part of that niche, you will thoroughly enjoy it. And we can just wait. Uh, us Playdate fans will just wait until Norman Reedus shows up on a play date game. Oh my god. You cranked the baby to make it wake up. <laughs> Kojima needs to make a play date game. Honestly, yes. Like no joke. This this seems like the kind of thing he would yeah. enjoy. Boktai 2 exclusive to the play date. <laughs> oh, if there was a Boktai reboot on Playdate, I would love that. Wait, okay. Maybe I'm mixing this up. Is Boktai the one the little Boktai is the is that the sun is game? the Yes, that is the sun game. That's the one I'm trying to reference. Yes, the sun game. Because I remember Kojima made a game where you had to hold your Game Boy up to the sun to power up your character. Yes, I own it. Oh, well. Uh, it is a fun little shooter. Uh, it feels like a more like child-friendly Metal Gear. Like the original Metal Gear. Hmm. It's, a, it's a real fun little thing, but it did suck having to hold it up to my window. Especially because then you get glare. On the original Game Boy Advance, ah, yeah. Uh, so you couldn't really see the screen <laughs> when you were getting sun, but once you powered up, it was okay. And then in Boktai two and three, they got rid of the necessity of being in the sun all the time, wow. and I think it just used the timer or like an internal clock to gauge how much power your solar gun would have. Hmm. Interesting. I never played two and three, but yeah, a Boktai reboot on Playdate would be really fun. Considering the joke I just made about Boktai two, like I didn't know there was a two or a three, so <laughs> <laughs> that's very crazy news for me to hear. But hey, shout out to weird games. I I love a good weird game, as we've hinted at. We love weird games. Yeah. 
And now that we've gone through all of our eight favorite games and or more than eight at this point, several <laughs> dozen considering the end of the list. Uh, what are some games that you're looking forward to for next year? There's a lot I'm looking forward to the next year. Now, I'll say this. Number one on the list, probably with the bullet, is Spider-Man 2, um, which is not a surprise. Everyone's looking forward to that game. Uh, Insomniac is probably my favorite developer ever right now. Um, I love the Ratchet & Clank games for years. I love the Resistance games, Sunset Overdrive. Almost everything they make is excellence to me, so Spider-Man is going to be another hit. Um, I'm hoping there's this indie game called She Dreams Elsewhere, I've had my eyes on for a very long time. I played the Steam Next Fest demo a very long time ago. It's maybe two or three years at this point ago. Uh, and it's basically your earthboundish type of RPG, but it has a very specific color palette where it's just like blacks, purples, pinks, and blues, and that's it. No other colors. And it's very striking. And you, I could tell when I was playing the game, I could tell that like a black person wrote this dialogue because it's about like, it has that Atlanta vibe where it's a bunch of black people in their like late 20s, mid 20s, like trying to figure out life. And just like the music they're using, they're using like some like Mick Jenkins, like mixtape songs. Like it sounds like that. Uh, Mick Jenkins is a rapper that is like very low key. That isn't the most popular guy out there. So I'm like, OK, there's something here. Like I can tell they're trying to have a very specific vibe that's going to, you know, mesh with black people like me. So I'm like very excited for that. And they're one. making all the music themselves. Oh, they did for... the music themselves? Yep. That's part of the reason why it's taking such a long time. <laughs> I had no idea because I didn't know if they actually use Mick Jenkins or not. But in the background, I was like, this sounds like some Mick Jenkins. They're just they just have a good ear, I guess. Wow. Good for them. Because I because I know the solo dev working on the game. Wow. Okay. I met them at what was it? ID at Xbox or an ID at Xbox event prior to mm. PAX a few years ago, and since then we've like we've talked every once in a while, getting updates on the game, and it, it's coming. She Willikers. I I had no clue. Well, shout out to them. They're they do great work on that game. I'd love to be able to play it in full one day, but you know I don't want to pressure them. Whenever it's done, it's done. So hoping that comes out. And then the last one I'll say here, as I look through my little schedule of stuff that's coming up, I, I'm trying to think what else is coming out next year, because next year is kind of like a blur. You know what? Now, I was going to say Dead Island, too, but that's I am. I love the first Dead Island. It was the greatest podcast game of all time. I can't say I'm super excited to play another podcast game, which it might be fun. It might be good. I will enjoy it. I'm not going to be looking forward to it, if that makes sense. But there are, you know, a bunch of other games that I'm interested in. I'm trying to think of stuff that came here. You go ahead and talk about your games and then I'll come back with one more towards the end. So the one I'm most excited for, particularly right now, is The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Mm. Because I'm excited to see what the sequel to, frankly, one of the greatest games ever made is going to be. Fair enough. And how they will move on with the gameplay of Breath of the Wild and take what was there and bring it to the next level. And it seems like there's going to be flying. Hmm. And instead of just gliding, there will be the sky, which is a whole other dimension. And it looks like they're going to be playing around with time again, which the Zelda franchise loves playing around with time. And it will be interesting to see how these things move into a new game as well as dungeons are coming back as they've said so there will there will be dungeons in the game and based off of 
just the divine beasts from the original game. It will ah. be interesting to see how mm-hmm. they take what they did with the divine beasts and turn that into all new dungeons. And as for my second game that I'm most excited for, I'm just going to leave it to two. There's there's a few I'm excited for, but they're all coming to Game Pass, so there's Fair. less of an expectation for it. Like Starfield, Redfall, all games I'm looking forward to, and I'll enjoy them. But th- those aren't ones that like I have to... I can pre-install them right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, You'll be but ready. The other one I'm really looking forward to, which frankly is the reason why I really want a PlayStation 5. Where God of War is good, other things like Returnal seems fun, and these are all titles that I expect to be good, but one I am frankly just excited for is Final Fantasy Mm. 16. Ah, there we go. Where Final Fantasy 16 looks to be a wild fantasy story. There are, there has been like some problematic things with how the director talks about the depictions of people in the Eastern fantasy the Western fantasy and how he's handled that, uh, which seemed like a kind of cop-out answer. It's okay if you don't want to put brown people in your game, but you don't have to make, you don't have to make (laughs) up weird reasons as to why you're not putting brown people in your game. Exactly. If that's, if that's the word you want to go with, sure. But if you don't have to come up with like weird excuses as to why you're not doing that, (laughs) but also please put brown people in your games. Exactly. It's not hard. We've seen examples have, of this at this point. Have have games star exclusively brown people like Forspoken. Oh, I that was that was on my list, yeah. Where based off of gameplay, I'm not super looking forward to Forspoken. I'm gonna buy it though, so that business people know that you can have video games led by a black woman and have them perform well. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a specific draw for audiences. That's the reason why I want to buy this game is because there need to be more video games led not by some custom characters where you have the option to play as a black woman, but have it be led and strictly like About, dedicated yeah. to being a black woman as a star. And because we need more black women stars specifically in video games. And which is why I want Forspoken. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy like outside of Forspoken, it's what like the Dishonored DLC standalone game. Mm-hmm. And what else? Seasons about to come out that has a black woman lead, and I'm starting to run out of examples. <laughs> it's very quick. Everyone else is side characters and whatnot. So yeah, I'm right there with you with Forspoken. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I will say though, I Forspoken was one that I was thinking about talking about, and uh, Flintlock: The Siege of Dawn, another game led by a black woman. I was also thinking of talking about that. That one also-, also looks fun, and it seems to be like a slightly more budget god of war game yes or god of war style game but even if they have a smaller budget it does not show because Mm -hmm. that game looks phenomenal it does and that's another game day one game pass game so very much so look forward to that the one i want to point out that no one is talking about for reasons i absolutely understand wanted dead have you heard of wanted dead at all i have watched someone play a demo of wanted dead and (laughs) i am thoroughly unimpressed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I understand because Wanted Dead, literally their mission statement for this game is, you know, those slightly janky action games that used to come out all the time on the PS3 era. This is a love letter to that era. So the Ninja Guidance of the world, the random like mind jacks and uh, dark voids of the world. 
this is that type of experience. And I beat Dark Void like year before last. <laughs> like I play these games in my sleep. Like I'm a big fan of stuff like Kane and Lynch 2, like these weirdly janky. Kane Lynch 2 is different because that has artistic merit in a lot of ways. But Wanted Dead is trying to go for that cheesy kind of vibe. So it's a lot of like extreme gore. It's a lot of over the top action. It's a female protagonist, but she has like a sword and a gun and you can hack and slash everybody or do the cover system shoot and pop thing. Um, it's great. And also Stephanie Jutson is one of the main characters in the game. Uh, I believe I'm saying her name right. She was quiet in Metal Gear Solid 5. Um, and all the trailers, there's like some live action portion where she's like doing a cooking show. And all the trailers have clips from that cooking show in every trailer. It's very weird, but it's absolutely the type of game that I like. It's in the same way where I told everyone on Twitter. And they're going to be able to bully me by the time this comes out probably. But I told everyone on Twitter uh final fantasy origins uh stranger of paradise that absolutely looks like a ps3 ass ps3 game so i said hey if i don't beat this game by the end of the year you all have permission to bully me i'm gonna probably make that same promise with wanted dead because <laughs> ps3 is like my console like i am defined by how much i like the ps3 in a lot of ways so this just seems like my swan song and yeah i was gonna say i'm not doing anything else on valentine's day so that's the day it drops i'll do in that but Things might change on that front, but I'll still play the game. <laughs> See, Wanted Dead reminded me from the gameplay I saw at PAX. It looked like a slightly more polished version of Itagaki's last game, Devil's Third. Dude, I I always wanted to play Devil's Third, even though it's bad. That's like absolutely the type of game I'd love to play. It's very bad. <laughs> yes, Because uh, exactly. I, I enjoy some of the older Ninja Gaiden games. Uh, Ninja Gaiden 1 and 2, good. 3, less good, but still enjoyable. The DS Ninja Gaiden game was really fun. Mm. Uh, I think that was like Dragon Scroll or wow. Dragon Sword, something like that. Very fun on DS. It was one of the few that you played in book mode where you have to rotate your DS sideways. Interesting. And then Ninja Gaiden Yaiba, the the zombie Ninja Gaiden, yes. bad. Uh, and so Wanted Dead reminded me of a weird mix of Devil's Third and the oft-forgotten but never totally forgotten Bethesda-published Wet. Wet. Yes, it, it definitely is. Which is sense. also not good. <laughs> which I also played this year. <laughs> so, like, you're talking to someone who, like, I hear all that and I'm like, yes, I, I'm the sicko in the window in that meme. Um, but there is a space for because it's not that bad games are invalid. They exist and they okay. should exist because if we don't have bad games out there, then we'll never truly know what is good. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's also very interesting to see, like, I like seeing how people fail. Like, it's cool to play a game and see, OK, this is where the idea broke apart right here. It was good up until this point. Like, it's interesting to do the forensics on that dead body of a game sometimes. So that's always fun. But ultimately, I just like cheesy, slocky shit. So I'm very excited for Wanted Dead because, you know, you got to balance out the prestige and the indie darlings. It also reminded me it, it was a very weird staging at PAX because the booth for Wanted Dead was very close to the demo booth for Gungrave Gore. And both of these Another games one. had very similar vibes. Certainly. Both of them based off of. Uh, I didn't actually play Wanted Dead, but all the gameplay looked like Devil's Third plus Wet. And Gungrave Gore, mm -hmm. I played. Very bad. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that hit Game Pass. Yeah, based on playing it, it was like the most well polished garbage bin PS2 game, <laughs> where it was like one of these dollar store knockoff PS2 games, like what Sphinx Two or Gingerbread Man. Yeah, like that, but with beautiful 4K of ray tracing and like phenomenal blood effects. And it felt bad looking at this game saying people put so much work into making this very beautiful, not fun game. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because once again, like, yes, I I do agree because even Gungrave, I tried to play the original uh, on Steam Deck earlier this year. Does not hit for me, does not hit for me at all. So I'm probably not gonna check out Gore. But I do appreciate that, you know, with the for a while there during the PS4 generation, the double A sphere started to die. And you started seeing a lot of those mid-tier games kind of go the way of the dodo. And it was really rough for a while. Uh, because games are just so expensive to make. But for whatever reason, with towards the end of the PS4 life cycle and now leading into like the PS5 and Xbox Series X era. Um, we're getting a lot of those games coming back. You know, we had Darksiders 3 come back after Darksiders was quiet for a long time. We have things like Wanted Dead coming back and all these other like PS2 era kind of janky games that do have an audience, do have a charm. That audience is probably way smaller considering that, what, 50% of the audience is just playing Fortnite or Call of Duty at this point when it comes to all gamers. Um, So it's going to be a smaller fan base because, you know, the pie is bigger but more games are taking slices out of that pie. But at the same time, I appreciate them existing because it's cool to see the gambit being reached in all of games. It's cool to see every single need is being served and even stuff that you would think no one plays has merit. There's some interest in it. There's some, you know, artistic something in it that I'm I'm finding fascinating. So yeah, going to be an interesting 2023. Very excited to play some of those games. All games have merit and being able to just play them in once they release, is in itself a super difficult and beautiful thing. Exactly. Every game's I love a video games. Me too, man. It's been great talking about them. I love this. But with that, with our love of video games and the future of video games, that's it for this second annual non-denominational holiday special presented by 8-Bits. I have been your host, Frankie Godoy. If you would like to keep up with everything from the show, you can follow us on Twitter, as long as Twitter still exists, <laughs> at... 8bitsgg, that is at the number 8, B-I-T-S-G-G. You can also follow me on Twitter, as long as it exists, at Frankie Godoy, that is at F-R-A-N-K-I-E-G-O-D-O-Y. And now, Emmett, where can people follow you? You can follow me at a lot of places. Um, Like you said, if it still exists by the time this goes out, Twitter is the main place I'm at, and you can follow me there, at EJSpun61, that is just EJ, the word sponge, six one uh the letters not spelling it out um yeah i'm on there i i tweet a lot it's a problem actually i don't tweet as much because i work a lot now so it's like uh, i i tweet when i can but every now and then i'll get a good banger in there um but if you don't have twitter or it's dead by the time you're here i'm the same thing on hive uh add an extra one and that's me on instagram like you know i'm all over the place if you search ej spun 61 on google you'll find about 57 social media pages i've made over the years that will lead back to me in some way um so yeah i'm there and of course vgu.tv is the website i work for right now we're doing uh, 12 days of vgu miss uh where we are making a new piece of content on the site every day until the end of the year uh started yesterday today we actually have a podcast going out which is like a little nostalgia podcast we did a while back 
uh, where we just listen to like old show tunes and radio commercials and stuff like that. It's uh, it's a good time. Uh, and I'm going to be doing my top video essays of the year article pretty soon as well. So I'm going to be starting that up probably right after we're done recording this. So look forward to that and a lot of other content from us over at VG.TV. Oh, and also welcome to The Thing, another show I do, and Spoonful, another show I do. Check that stuff out too. It's all in my Twitter bio. I do a lot. <laughs> Go check out all the lovely things that Emmett happens to be working on. But otherwise, that's been it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your week, have a good happy holidays, and we'll see you next year. Bye. Adios. Thank you.